The Dark is Rising, a drama by Susan Cooper for BBC World Service. Episode 2, Midwinter Day. When the dark comes rising, six shall turn it back. When the dark comes rising, six shall turn it back. Three from the circle. Three from the circle. Three from the trap. Wood, bronze, and iron, water, fire, and stone. Five will return, and one go alone. The dark, the dark is rising. I will tell you only this, Will Stanton. You are bound to devote yourself to the long conflict between the light and the dark. You are one of the old ones, the first to have been born for 500 years. Will Stanton was woken by music, music of such deep enchantment that he woke smiling in pure happiness at the sound. In the moment of waking it began to fade and then, as he opened his eyes, it was gone. The room was still, there was no music, but Will knew it was no dream. Cold light glimmered round the edge of the curtains, but no one was stirring anywhere. He pulled on his rumpled clothes from the day before, crossed the landing to the central window, and looked down. Snow! Oh, so much snow! Wow! All the outbuildings surrounding the family house were mounded into glistening square towers of white. And beyond them was the familiar landscape of fields and hedges. There was Dawson's farm buried to the horizon's brim. Will Stanton. Where's that coming from? Welcome, Will. Who are you? He swung round. Nothing. But when Will turned back to the window... He saw that his own world had vanished. Everything had changed. The snow was there as it had been a moment before, but now there were no outbuildings, no roofs, no fields, no roads, no buildings of any sort, only trees. Trees, trees everywhere. Will was looking out over a great white forest. Where's everything gone? A forest of massive trees, and the only break in the white world of branches was away to the south, the River Thames, like a single black ribbon in this vast snowy ocean of forest. Robin! Hey, Robin! Wake up! I was just... I... I... Robin? Robin? James! Wake up, James, you have to see this. James! 
Wake up, everyone! Wake up! Silence. No answer. The house and everyone in it lay in a sleep that would not be broken. Oh, I need to get out of here. Got to get out. Oh, my jacket. Where is it? Um. Oh, yeah, the sheepskin one. Uh, my boots. Okay. Oh, I need to get out of here. Oh, I've never seen so much snow. As Will moved away from the house, he suddenly felt very much alone. It's much too quiet. There are no birds. No birds singing. He made himself go on wading through the snow without looking back, because he knew that if he did look back, he would find his house had vanished. Will just accepted everything that came into his mind without thought or question, as if he was moving through a dream. But at the same time, he knew. I'm not dreaming. I'm wide awake. Yes. He was wide awake in a midwinter day that had been waiting for him since the day he had been born, and for centuries before that. As he trudged through the snow, he could feel that something or someone was driving him on. I've got to get to Huntercombe Lane. Wait, this is Huntercombe Lane. But where's the village gone? There are only three houses here, and they're made of stone. At the sound of banging, Will's hand instinctively moved to the buckle on his belt that Farmer Dawson had given him the day before. Now it was very cold. Great showers of sparks were spraying out from where a man, a smith, worked on an anvil outside one of the houses. A huge black horse, midnight in colour, stood by the smith. Will had never seen such a horse. No markings anywhere. The man raised his head and looked at him. It's John Smith from Dawson's Farm. Morning, John. Hey, Will. You're out early. It's my birthday. So it is. So it is. Happy birthday, young Will. John Smith looked at Will, but there was a warning in his eyes, and a figure moved out of the shadows behind that horse. Will's breath came faster. A hollowness was in his throat. He didn't know why. The man was tall, wore a dark cloak. His hair was reddish. And as he patted the horse, he suddenly turned and stared. Stared at Will with bright blue eyes. Midwinter birthday. And you will be 11 years grown. Yes. Yes, that's right. The cloaked figure glided forward. Oh, you're hungry, Will Stanton. As he dropped his arms, the morning darkened and an extra layer of cloud swallowed the sun. Bring your birthday fast with me. Mind yourself, young Will. John Smith swung a horseshoe into a bucket of water and the rider moved back. The day grows, Smith. How much longer? Your iron will not be hurried. Get on, get on. There. He's done now. The red-haired man at once moved his black horse round, tightened the girth and slid upwards into the saddle. Come up, boy. I'll take you where you want to go. 
The folds of his dark robes flowed over the flanks of the black horse. Riding is the only way in snow as thick as this. The rider looked like a statue carved out of night. No, thank you. I'm out to find the walker. So that's it. I must find the walker. The rider twitched the horse's head, leaned down and grabbed at Will's arm. Now the rider is a brawl. You will come with me, Will Stanton. No, he won't. But with astonishing speed, John Smith leapt forward and dragged Will out of reach. That was a foolish move, my friend Smith. We shall not forget. Oh, thank you, John. I hope... They can do me no harm. I am a blacksmith. I belong to the road, you see. On the road through Hunter's Coombe, their power can do no harm. Remember that. Don't leave the road. John, all I know is I must find the walker. But I don't know why. Will you tell me? Ah, no, young girl. That you must learn for yourself. John Smith turned and looked down at him for the first time, and compassion crossed his weathered face. And you'll learn much more, for this is only your first day. My first day? So follow your nose through the day, boy. Just follow your nose. Suddenly, a white mare, without rider or harness, trotted into the clearing towards them. A reverse image of the rider's midnight black stallion, and she came to stand quietly beside Will. Good mare, good mare. Come in good time. Look well, young Will. I've not seen a horse like this ever before, but this will not be the last time. Oh, she's beautiful. Mount. Bitch. I'm not joking. It's your privilege. Take hold of her mane where you can reach it, and you will see. So Will reached up into her mane and... <sighs> but how did I get there? When I have shot her, she will even carry you, if you ask. John, no. I think... I think I'm supposed to go alone. <sighs> Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Go well, young Will. Remember, Will, follow your nose. Stick to the path. From the edge of the trees, Will glanced back. John Smith had one of the mare's hind feet clenched between his knees and was fitting a shoe to it. That's not a normal horseshoe. It's a circle quartered by a cross. Again, instinctively, Will put a hand inside his jacket and touched the iron sign threaded onto his belt. It was very cold now, and he was beginning to know what that meant. After the snow comes... Will trudged on, passing a narrow side lane, and then something made him glance down the track. And there, some way away, in the doorway of a low square hut, stood the shambling old tramp of the day before. The, the walker. So the walker is abroad. Ah, he would be. And it was at that moment that Will left the safety of Huntercombe Lane. So the walker is abroad. What's it to you? I want you to tell me some things. 
I want to know why you were hanging around yesterday, watching, why the rooks came after you. I want to know what it means that you are the walker. You can't be the one. I can't be what? You can't be. You ought to know all this, especially about those hellish birds. You're trying to trick a poor old man, eh? You're out with a rider, aren't you? You're his boy, eh? Of course not. I, I don't know what you mean. You might be the one. You might. If you're carrying the first sign that the old one gave you. Have you got it there, then? Show the old walker the sign. As Will pushed the sheepskin aside to show the quartered circle looped on his belt, his hand brushed against the smooth iron, and now it was burning, biting with icy cold. It's unwise to leave the wrong Will standing. Will turned, and the rider and the black horse edged forward. He shrank back against the side of the hut, staring into the blue star eyes of the man in the cloak. I must show the sign. You have one of them already. Well, one will not help you, young Will. Not at all. Not yet. The rider hunched his shoulders strangely, his horse tossed its head, and then the two of them began to grow, dark and vast against the snow, the stallion rearing triumphantly, lashing the air so that Will was forced back against the wall. Horse and rider towered over him like a dark cloud, blotting out both snow and sun. But then the rearing shape suddenly fell away to one side, swept away by a blazing golden light, brilliant with fierce patterns of white hot circles, suns, stars. The white mare from the smithy. Will reached up, grabbed frantically at the white horse's waving mane, and again found himself jerked upwards onto the broad back, bent low over the mare's neck, clutching for his life. Ride. Ride round Coombe Lane. And the great horse leapt for the track through the trees, passing the shapeless black cloud that hung motionless in the clearing like smoke, galloping, the world flashing by in a pale blur, wind wrenching Will's collar. But then huge grey thunderheads blocked out that sound, and behind, swooping towards them, a shape darker than even the clouds was suddenly above them. One patch of blue left in the sky. There. Closing, closing, leap for it. Over his shoulder, Will saw the rider, towering, immense, his eyes two dreadful points of blue-white fire. Now! The white horse leapt, leapt desperately at the closing gap. Yes! And they were through, free, safe. Blue sky. Sun. And now Will and the horse were galloping above the curving slopes of the Chiltern Hills, capped with great trees, beech, oak and ash. And on one hill, as Will looked down, he saw a vast mark cut through turf into the chalk beneath the soil. It would have been hard to make it out if it had not been familiar, but he now knew it well. A circle quartered by a cross. And then, 
Suddenly, Will's hands were jerked away from their tight clutch on the thick mane. And he was falling, falling. And yet, he knew no shock of a fall, only that he was lying face down on cold snow. Where am I? Where's the white horse? Come through to us, Will. We have been waiting for you. As he stood before Will on the snow-clad hill, standing alone and tall on the slope, leading to nowhere, were two great carved wooden doors. The dark, the dark is rising. Oh, the dark, the dark is rising. The dark, the dark is rising. The Dark is Rising, a drama by Susan Cooper. Episode 2 of 12 was adapted for audio by Robert McFarlane and Simon McBurney. Directed by Simon McBurney. Produced by Catherine Bailey and Tim Bell and is a Complicité and Catherine Bailey production for BBC World Service and is commissioned by Simon Pitts. Right there. Okay, come on. Let's try this again. Two seasons of 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter are now available in full. An elephant's trunk is a truly marvellous, inspirational thing. That's 60 fascinating stories about the remarkable animals inspiring solutions to some of humankind's most complex problems. We discover how the slime of slugs could be invaluable when it comes to life-saving surgery. Yeah, really. 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter from the BBC World Service. Are you ready? Just search for 30 Animals That Made Us Smarter wherever you get your podcasts.